When we look at thanks after giving, when we look at this verse in Luke 15, 32, we're going to read it here in a moment. What I want to do is give you some things to think about as we jump into this. Here are those two things. It's some elements of the verse of this scripture. One, there's a point of celebration and rejoicing, and that's what it's talking about. There's a celebration and rejoicing. The younger son has come home, and the father is trying to communicate that to his older son about rejoicing and celebrating. But the next question is, would you have been invited to the celebration? Would you have been invited to the celebration? And we're actually going to take a look at the whole chapter in relation to rejoicing and celebrating, okay? So verse 32 says this, the father said to the older son, we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, if you notice, the father is saying your brother, but every time in Luke 15, the older son says your son, but the father says your brother. And so there's a difference of relation about how they're dealing with that, how they're looking at it. It's their view. It's their perspective. And we've been talking about this for a number of weeks, but I wanted to key in on this verse today. As a matter of fact, earlier in the week, well, actually, it was last Sunday, I began to take notes. Don't you love to take notes on pieces of paper, envelopes, and don't the best notes come out on those? You know, I started to rewrite these, and I said, no, man, it's awesome, because it grabs your original thought. Are you getting what I'm saying? It takes your original thought and really encapsulates what you were thinking. And a lot of times, like I'll start to write it on other things and it'll start to dilute or get, all of a sudden it gets murky and you go, what was I trying to say? But you see, when you look at this verse, and I wrote down the different translations, New American Standard says, had to. We had to rejoice. We had to celebrate. New King James Version says it was right to do that. In fact, the word right in the Greek means it was a necessity. So the New King James Version and the King James Version says it was a necessity to rejoice and celebrate. New Living Translation says we had to. The Young's Living Translation, which is a great translation, says it was needful to rejoice and celebrate. And the NIV and the Phillips Translation both say we had to rejoice. We had to rejoice. In other words, it's not an option, son. There were many times my dad growing up, and you know, I mean, I, our, my dad passed away in December. And so every time we come right up to December and we come into December, that's one of the things that, you know, as many of you, you have different events in your life that come at different times of the year. And so when I think about that, I think about my father and I think about how many times he looked at me and said, son, it's not an option. And I think my kids grew up listening to that and got very sick of that statement, which was my father's statement. Isn't it amazing how much we're really like dad and mom? And I would say it's not really an option. You see, this is what this father is saying to his son. This is not an option. We have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. You go, well, Tommy, why is it that way? Why is the father communicating to his son that way? Why is he taking it from, don't you think that's a good thing to do, son? Don't you think that's a great thing that we would rejoice that your younger brother is here? Even if it is my son and not your brother, even at that, isn't it a great thing that we should rejoice and celebrate? And the father is taking it from a just something we should do to something we have to do. And one of the reasons I want you to see this in multiple verses, we're going to hopefully bring this together today, 
is he continues to say, your brother was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and now he is found. And so we would read that and say, well, that's very straightforward. It's, it's very much what it means. And actually, it is. But when you, once again, dig a little deeper, and this is why I, I, I love to do this, because what happens is, is you get a, an additional perspective. Not different, it's additional. It broadens the way you look at it. It, it makes wide. You know, as we grow older, we don't want to get wider sometimes, right? So in that case, that's not a good thing, just after Thanksgiving, I was looking at pictures of people. I started to show this up there, but I thought, nah. But, you know, people go, here's my Thanksgiving pants. <laughs> you know, it's got big, and the, woman, and the woman goes, those are my maternity pants. What are you doing? Take those off. And for those who have had babies, you get that, okay? You understand what that means. But he says he was dead, but now he's alive. And again, when you look at these terms, he's dead. That's right. He's gone, but he is alive again. It means to recover life. Remember when the father says, quickly get the robe, quickly get the ring, quickly, right, get the sandals. And we talked about how God, when someone comes to him and really turns their heart, he says, quickly, 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 and how fast God does things. And as a matter of fact, quick, that's really the slow version, right? That's the slow version of how fast God responds to us when our heart is right before him. But it actually means in this word, and when I saw this, I connected it to that statement. Quickly get the robe. Quickly get the ring. Quickly get the sandals. It means to recover life or a reversal quickly. You see, even in this statement, he was dead. Now he's quickly alive. He was dead. He didn't start to be groggy and come out and like, you know, the average 15-year-old on a Saturday morning when you need him to cut the grass. I did that to my father. Of course, it didn't work with him. Back to my father again, right? You know, he'd pick up the bed, throw us out of the bed, whatever it took, you know. When dad was out of town or whatever, mom was, y'all get up. Uh, anybody been there? Y'all get up. You know, it's, now it's five to seven. It's five after seven. And then all of a sudden, now it's all panic and everything else, right? Quickly do that. Well, this is what God is saying. You were dead. He was dead. And now he's quickly alive, not slowly alive, not groggy coming out like, oh, what's this? No, quickly the transformation took place. And then he says he was lost and he has been found. And the word found means that he's been found. But when it says he was lost, that word literally means to destroy fully, to ruin. You know, I don't have to tell you that Jesus said that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's exactly what it says. There is an enemy out there that wants to do anything and everything to destroy you and I. Now, that's true. There's a devil. There's an enemy, a real enemy that says, I want to utterly destroy you. Dr. Lynn was praying for a number of different pastors. I thank God so much for giving me genuine friendships. And actually, we're going to touch on that a little bit today. Not only pastoral friendships, but genuine friendships. And um, it's like this year, it's like we've been under siege. So that's the only way to describe it. When you talk, we, pay, we prayed for a number of pastors. Every one of them. I just got off the phone before we came into the sanctuary, another pastor in Kansas City. And everyone is saying the same thing. It's like the onslaught of the enemy is relentless. It's not only intense, it's relentless. 
And I believe that as the church, as the church of Jesus Christ is trying to figure out who we are, where we are, what we're doing. I mean, I haven't lost sight of who I am and what we're doing, but I see many that are. As we're trying to do that, the enemy has taken advantage of that trying to get people sidetracked, events in our lives that sidetrack us, maybe get us on the sidelines a little bit to keep us there. Man, don't you think the enemy was going crazy when this son was walking home and he goes, I had destroyed him, I had him, I had him right where I wanted him. The man of God's son. And not only that, I'm working on the older one. I've got him all bitter and confused and everything. The devil's going, I'm working on both sides. I say this a lot and I'll say it again. You know, the devil doesn't mind taking a, a little baby and kick the baby when it's down. You know, we want to think that, that the devil is not into that kind of stuff, that, you know, he's just a, a convenient devil. No, I want you to know that he will do anything at any time against you, against your loved ones, against anyone that you're connected to. That is why heaven created the body of Christ, to be able to stay together and to walk together. And you see, as he said, to destroy fully or to ruin Think about that. To destroy fully or to ruin. So he says, the father says to his older son, we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice, son. Don't you understand? You go, Tommy, okay, so bring that together for me. Remember, Jesus says there were Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders that were complaining about Jesus speaking to the sinners and tax collectors. Now think about that as a caste system or a or a system of people, what category you fit in, sinners or tax collectors. But he says the sinners and tax collectors are coming and they're speaking to Jesus and the scribes and the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they're upset over here and they're grumbling. And we've talked about that at length for the last few weeks, just bringing that back. And he's looking at his older son because he went out and he talked to him and he says, what's the problem? Don't you understand what's at stake here? You see, this is how the body of Christ should act when a person genuinely comes to the Lord. In other words, if we have the opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus or bring them in and bring them into a place where they come to know the Lord, we get to participate in that rejoicing and celebrating with heaven. That's what the Bible says. In this case, he's saying, come on, I want you to be able to rejoice. I want you to be able to celebrate. Let's look at some more verses. In the book of Galatians, it says, for in the inheritance... See, Paul was writing to the church at Galatia. And what had happened was there were some people that were preaching all kinds of weird things. And Paul says, how quickly have you left the truth about the gospel, about your inheritance in the Lord? And he begins to talk about the difference between the law and grace. And he begins to talk about the law and how the law, it was the forerunner to the message of the gospel, but the law wasn't able to do what the gospel can do for you. It can't do what Jesus did on the cross. And as Paul is telling them this, he makes this statement. If the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. The father, as he's standing before the older son, and he's saying, we have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. Don't you understand? There's a promise at place here. There's a promise that's been made. Don't you understand that? You get to take part in the promise. You get to walk with your brother in the promise again. And the son can only just stand away and go, you know what? He squandered his. He's not getting any of mine. Remember we talked about that, where they both got their inheritance. All he could think of was he's not getting any of mine. As a matter of fact, you're giving him the fatted calf and you're letting him celebrate with his friends, but I never get to celebrate with my friends. 
You see, because the older son was functioning from a law perspective, not a grace perspective. The son was operating from the law. The law says the father gives the oldest one his inheritance. I get a double portion. That is the law. And that was he was functioning by. The younger son says, I've squandered all that. I have nothing left. All I have is my father. That's it. All I have left is my father. In other words, he laid all that aside. He got a new vision. Are you hearing me today? The younger son got a new vision. He got new glasses. I remember when I started wearing glasses all the time. How many of you rebelled against wearing glasses? Okay, I'm so glad. I'm not the only one. And then I remember, you know, as I got about 32, 33, man, I'd, Lisa and I, <laughs> we had this joke during that time. It's not funny anymore. When it first started happening, we'd be, we'd be close because, you know, that's what husbands' wives were close, right? And we'd look at each other and we'd both like have to step back because we'd be blurry. Because <laughs> you got to get back a little bit to, you know. Remember the whole joke? I mean, I've been through the whole series of jokes, right? You know, my arms aren't long enough for my eyes. Remember that whole thing, you know? And then finally, I just went, you know what? It's time to just wear them. And I began to wear them. But in wearing them, it's kind of like you get a new, a new view, a new vision. And God gave him new glasses, if you could see. The father's saying, son, I want you to get a different view than you have. You're working from a law perspective. Your inheritance is from a law perspective, not from a grace perspective. You're getting it because you think it's owed to you. See, that was the Pharisees and the scribes, right? After we become Christians for some time, we move many times. I've seen it happen, so I'll just say it this way, that we move from this incredible gratitude to all of a sudden I'm owed something. When we move from it's grace, I I deserve nothing God has given me everything, everything that I am. When we move to a rights mentality, you're in trouble. When you move to a rights mentality, it is my right. It is my right. I should get this. I should be that. I should. You have moved into a dangerous place. It doesn't matter what it is. When Lisa and I became the pastors of this church, we felt we had every confidence that God had spoken to us, encouraged us to stand in the gap. But I never said it is owed to us. Never. Never, never, never. We had people want to write petitions. You know, man, appreciate you. Glad you think that much of me. But if God can't do it, what makes you think you can do it? You know, you have to understand that it's not a right. It's a privilege. And when God goes, ching. How many of you know that I never, right in the middle of those things, that was the greatest test we could ever have? Whether or not we thought it was a right or whether we thought it was a privilege. And you see, this younger son moved from a right. Give me my money. Come on, you understand? He actually had the change of heart. Is that making sense? He had the real change of heart. Not just going, man, I'm out in a pig pen. Man, I'm out here eating food with the swines. They won't even give me that. That's not the perspective. The perspective is, wait a minute. I have to see this differently. I'm going to go to my father and have a totally different attitude. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing when the Bible talks about out of Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace. Isn't that an oxymoron? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? Come boldly with confidence, not arrogance, confidence to the throne of grace. (laughs) The throne of grace is where we go, I'm nothing, I'm owed nothing, I, I have nothing to offer except me. Here I am. That's it. And we stand there at the throne of grace boldly? 
I mean, I have always, since I've become a believer and I read that, I just went, that terminology, only God could make that real. Where he says, I want you to come to my throne of grace. You're right, you really don't deserve it. But I want you to come with every confidence that I'm going to speak to you, embrace you, fall upon you, weep upon you, love you, take you, lift you up out of the miry mud. Anybody got lifted up out of the mud? Whew, man, I don't even want to talk about the mud that I, that I came out of. Okay, I grew up with Delcom Reeboks and all that stuff, okay? How many of you know what it is to walk in marsh with boots and stuff and, and, and go... How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? How many of you know that that is what Jesus pulled us out of? Where it didn't want to let go. The enemy did not want to let go. And not only that, how many of you know that marsh stinks? Remember that when you move it around and you, you know, you got to clean everything, you get it. And even after you clean it, it still stinks. Come on. You see, that's what the enemy is going, I got you. I got you. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of places where I left the boot. And that's how it should be. You leave that junk there and you get on with Jesus. For those not from this area, don't duck hunt or whatever. You don't, you don't get that maybe. Fall out of a pirogue one time and you'll get it. So you see, when you look at this and you talk about the rejoicing, it says you're no longer based on the law. You're based on the promise of God, his salvation in our life. And Paul was trying to say, you're going back to the law. You're going back to something you say it's owed to you. And what God is saying, I want you to come back to what it first was. It's the grace. Would God really love me? Would he really pour out his love on me and forgiveness on me? Would he really allow me to just come to him, bear my whole soul and go, here I am, and that would be good enough? And the answer is yes. But they wanted to go back. They were starting to go back saying, no, 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 we've earned something. We've done something. So now what I want to do is I want to talk about moving into the next thought about the friends. The older son says, I didn't get to invite any of my friends. Well, when you operate in the law, it's hard to have friends. When you operate in the law, even those that you operate in the law with, you can't hardly be friends with because that's the nature of the law. You know what I was thinking of yesterday? I had this thought. You know the, the, the lady with the scales and it's, you know, and it's got the blindfold, you know, justice is blind. The law's not, though. It operates, boom, 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 point one, two, three, four, five. But God says, I know what my law says, but I've chosen to do something different. You deserve this, but I choose to do this when your heart changes. And here Paul is trying to tell those believers, those new believers, man, don't go back to that. That's a dying proposition. That's a losing proposition. There's nothing but heartache there. Let's operate and walk in the, in the goodness of who God is. Yeah, we've got to have a right heart. It's obvious that the younger son had a right heart. That's what transformed everything. That's why the father was so excited. That's why he said, son, no, 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 no. We have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. Don't you understand? We have to. We have no other choice. He's back. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. He's found. What's wrong with you? Come on, get with the program. Don't you understand? I'm going to tell you. I spoke to a, an old believer, a believer that's been in the Lord a long time, and I heard, I heard that person say recently, I don't know if I can forgive that person. And I said, you're in a dangerous place. And I said, I'll tell you why. I don't care how long you've known the Lord. Jesus said this, if you can't forgive them, my Father that's in heaven can't forgive you. 
And I said, the reasoning is, is because you refuse to extend what has been extended to you. You're being an older son. And that's what the father was trying to tell him. Everything that I have is yours. What's the problem? You've lost nothing. All you have to do is come with me. You can stay on the outside if you want, but it's not by my choice. It's by your choice. Now watch this. Let's look at these together. Take a look at verse 9 and 10. Let me go ahead and read it to you. Now remember, this is based on the 10 coins. This is a woman that has 10 coins. She's lost one. She begins to scour for it. She gets a broom, starts to sweep, looking everywhere, right? By candlelight, everything, and starts to look for the coin. It says, when she has found the coin, which she did, hallelujah, she calls together her friends and neighbors. Look at this. Her friends and neighbors and says what? Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. Now, who's telling this account? Jesus is. Because the Pharisees and the scribes don't want to hear it. And he says, let me tell you some things that happen in the heavenlies. And here he is. A ten, ten coins were there. One was lost. Finds the one coin and goes out and says, friends, neighbors, come celebrate with me. I found the coin, the most valued thing that I have. I found it, the most valuable thing. God says, you are so valuable. Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. That's what, is that not what it's saying up there? Rejoice with me. For I tell you, it, the coin was lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who has a change of heart, who repents, who turns. What's repent, Tommy? I'm going this way. I have a change of heart, and now I'm going this way. Now let me tell you what people try to do when they repent. Let me, let me tell you what you cannot do. And if anybody tells you different, you need to believe the word of God before people's opinions. The Bible says if you're walking like this and you say, I want to repent, and you just do this, that's not repentance. That's trying to change your circumstance by your own strength. You have to do this. You have to stop and go, I'm on the wrong road. I'm going this way. When I, when I rode back from Colorado here recently over the Rockies and stuff, I I had two GPSs going. How many of you know you're just trying to be safe, right? You just where, you don't know where you're at, and all you see is mountains and roads. And, and, and here's the deal. I left this little town. L listen, I, so I get on the bike, and I had just filled up about 40 miles before. So I said, man, that's, I'm not going to fill up right now. Wrong. Out in the plains of Colorado coming into New Mexico, that was a bad decision. And I'm just, all I can see is flatlands. You know, I've come out of the Rockies. I've come out into the plains, and there's nothing. And you see a car about every 30 minutes. And I'm watching my fuel gauge. And I'm like, I'm in America. <laughs> Where's a gas station, man? I'm serious. I mean, would you not be saying the same thing? I'm in America. I'm not in a third world country. What's the deal here? So I keep riding. I keep riding. I got 40 miles left on the tank. And all I see is nothing. About 15 miles in, I come into this little out-of-nowhere kind of thing. Just there's some houses, there's some stuff, and I see a little sign that says gas station. I pull up to it. I'm like, yes, it's closed down. I look on my GPS, and on, on the one on my motorcycle, I can put in gas. I can, you know, and it'll tell you where the next gas stations are. 39 miles back that way, which I never saw. You got to turn off. And the other one said none. And, uh, and I had an intersection that I was coming up to. And I went, boy, if there's no gas stations at that intersection, 
I'm going to be doing this number out nowhere. So I take off from that gas station that's closed, and I go one mile, and to my surprise, there's a brand new gas station right there. It could have been $15 a gallon. How many of you know I'd have paid it? Isn't it amazing how that stuff happens? All of a sudden, we're not talking about oil prices, and none of that matters. None of that matters. None of that matters. Isn't that crazy? But you see, the GPSs weren't telling me, they, they weren't giving me the information that I needed to know. And you see, when you're like this, and you're, you're just trying to find stuff, you need to go, God, I'm, this is where I'm going. It's not working. There's nothing but death and destruction, and nothing's going well. I'm going here, talk to me. And God, as the Bible says, quickly, quickly he begins to do things. Let's look at the next one, all right? So in the same chapter, chapter 15, and I want you to see it from this perspective. Based on the one sheep out of the 100, he goes and he gets the one. Now, when the man finds the one sheep and comes home, he calls together what? His friends and his neighbors. And he says what? Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. I found the sheep that was lost. I'll ask you again. Do we find ourselves in a place where God wants to say, celebrate with me? That we're one of his friends, that we're one of his people. Where he says, come on, celebrate with me. Over one sinner, all of heaven, all the angels are doing it. All of heaven's rejoicing. Why don't you get in on that? See, this changes how we view the way we should approach people and just share the good news of Jesus with them. That it's something to rejoice over. It's something to celebrate over. Yeah, in the midst of that, there's hard things that we have to face. There's things we have to discuss and we have to look at. Based on the one sheep, he says, rejoice with me, celebrate with me. The one that was lost, I found him. Again, value. Not a herd mentality, not, you know what, that sheep cost me a lot. It wasn't like that. It never projects that kind of mindset. One was lost, and now it's found. And you see, this is what he's saying. Son, I want you to celebrate. I want you to rejoice. I want you to see this. Look at this scripture in James. Abraham believed God. Now remember there in Galatians, it says that it was because of Abraham, the promise to Abraham that came down to us. It was no longer the law, but it was a promise of eternal life as we accepted the work of Christ on the, on the cross. Look at this. Abraham believed God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, it was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Now watch. You could, if you stopped right there, you'd say, oh, that's the law. That's Abraham. That's the law. No, 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 no. And he was called the what? The friend of God. You see, what happened was Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed. That's it. Because he believed. Abraham believed God. How many of you believe that the younger son believed his father when he was telling him those things? Now, initially, he may have said, wait a minute, is this a, you know, what's going on here? But when the father says, quickly, get the best robe, quickly, right? And he starts saying all those things. How about if the son goes, man, maybe this is true. Maybe this really is going to happen. Maybe this is really what my father means. 
And then, you know what's interesting is that after that event takes place and he gets the robe, the best robe, by the way, he gets the signet ring, right? We were talking about dignity. We were talking about the family ring. It was like a credit card, man. I get to, I get to use this thing. And then the sandals, humility, but then authority. You know what's interesting about the sandals is that the Bible says, humble yourself, resist the devil, he will flee. If you leave out the humility part, the resist the devil and he will flee part does not happen. You have to humble yourself first. The sandals always represented humility. Wasn't it the, uh, and, and most people think it was Mary Magdalene, when they're jockeying for position in front of Jesus, and he goes, you guys have done nothing but talk about this, this, and this, and all she's done is wash my feet with her tears since I've come through the door. Because why? He had sandals on. She was washing his feet. See, it's the humility. If you've ever had your feet washed by someone or washed someone's feet, that is one of the most humble things that you can ever do. I mean, it's just on either side, it's major humility. And here Jesus is telling this account. And now you see the younger son get all those things and then it's over. And then all of a sudden it's the father and the older son. Did you ever notice that? It's like the younger son is moving into the promise that God has given him. And the father begins to challenge the older son with, we had to. We had to rejoice. Come on. I want you to see it the way I see it. I want you to see it the way God in heaven sees it. That we would rejoice together. That we would celebrate together. Man, I'm not here to tell you that we have a lot of things to weep and shed tears over. There's plenty of that. How about if we begin to rejoice and celebrate together a little more? Some of those things, we begin to rejoice and celebrate. How about if we begin to believe for people that will come from the muck and the mire that they're in, like us, leave those Delcom Reeboks in the mud and go on with the new plan that God has. Let him take us out of the muck and the mire. Anybody has family members that you need to see that take place? That they're walking in that stuff and they, they just don't see it. They want to live there. They just want to stay there and you go, I don't get it. But when you're free, you get to see it right? But we were there once. Those who know Jesus here today, you were there once. I was there once. And I'm so glad that I, I don't have to go back to that. That's, that's what separates us. The fact that I've received it and let him do a work in my life. That's it. That's the only difference. I've let him do a work in my life. Man, that's powerful stuff. Abraham believed God. Today, we need to believe God for more. We need to believe God for more. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was called the friend of God. That's where that song, you know, I am a friend of God. That's where that song will come from. I am a friend of God. But it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But here was the question that I asked earlier. Would you be invited to those celebrations of the one with the one lost sheep? I found him. The one lost coin. I found it. The son that's come home that was dead is now alive. The one that was lost and now found. He's come home. I want to close with this. I've shared this once or twice over the last 21 plus years here at First Assembly. I was in uh, Covington. I was working there during the week and I would live there during the week and I'd drive home on the weekends. And uh, Leah was just born. She was like three months old. That was one of the hardest things I ever did. Do that, did that for a year was to not see my new little girl all that week and come home on the weekends. While I was in Covington, while I was there, 
there was a lady that was the secretary at the church. She had been there a long time. I can still see her face, kind of short hair, um, kind of salt and pepper kind of hair. And I had read these verses and I was, you know, kind of the whole thing of the rejoicing of friends and neighbors. And when Tommy Jr. was growing up, how many of you remember Super Friends? You know, there was Superman and then before all the comics, all the movies and all that stuff, it was just you'd hold up your Superman and whoever, Aquaman or whoever it was. Hey, these are Super Friends. That was it's changed a little bit. Okay, so, and I remember just thinking about that. And I remember going in and every day I would go there. I'd, while I was there, I would go there and pray. I'd read and pray in the sanctuary at the church. And I was in there and I would go in and talk with her. And one day I sat down and said, man, I was just reading this. And I said, and they called all their friends and neighbors and they began to rejoice and get excited. And she said, I want to tell you a story. And she said, I had a four-year-old little boy that drowned in our swimming pool. And she said, every night I cried myself to sleep. Not because I didn't know where he was, because I knew where he was. She said, my tears were connected to, when I get to heaven, will he know me as his mother? Because he's so young. And she said, every night I would go to sleep. And she said, I would, I would cry myself to sleep. She said, I did that for a couple of years. And she said, one night, like it always was, she said, I, I was just crying over that, just that thought. And she said, I fell asleep, but this night was different. She said, I had a dream. In the dream, I was on earth, I was in my home, and all of a sudden I began to ascend to the heavens. And she said, I, I came, and I, I began to see the pearly gates. She said, I was ascending, and I began to see the pearly gates. As I could see them, they were big. And as I would get closer, they would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then as I got closer, I was still a good ways away. If God's ever taken you to the heavens or do things like that, it's, it's, there's no way to really put words to it. It's really true. And she says, as I got closer, I could hear the activity in, inside the heavenlies, in, past the pearly gates. I could hear what was going on. And she said, I'm coming up and I'm coming to the pearly gates. And she said, I could hear people saying, get ready, get ready. She's coming in right now. She's going to be here any moment. We have to be ready. And she said, I could hear them saying that over and over again, all back and forth. There were numerous people that were saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. She's, she's coming and she's about ready to enter into the gates. Come on, we have to be ready. And she said, all of a sudden she got to the gates and the gates opened up and she walked in and there were people everywhere. And she said, all I saw was friends and neighbors everywhere. And then people began to say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And she said it was like going through a big tunnel of people just saying, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We're so... And she said that just went on and on and on. But she said, but I was only interested in one thing <laughs> at that moment. Yeah, I wanted to see Jesus. But the thing that had kept me up every night, falling asleep weeping, was my little boy. And she said... I'm walking through and all these people, and she said, this has been going on for, for a long time. Just the, the acceptance, the rejoicing, the celebration that was taking place. And she says, I'm walking. Then all of a sudden, this little boy runs by and says, where is she? Where is she? Is she get here yet? And runs and blows, just like a four-year-old would do, blows right by her. He goes past me and all of a sudden he stops and turns around and says, where is she? And she said, we made eye contact. And at that moment, he said, Mom! She embraced him and then woke up. And she said, from that moment on, I never once ever again 
had to worry about whether or not my son knew who I was and would remember me. How many of you know, I'll never forget that moment because it meant so much to me at that moment. God made it real, the friends, the neighbors, the rejoicing, the celebrating. And that's what the father was trying to communicate to his older son. Son, you got to get it. You got to move from law to grace. You've got to move from something that you, you've been owed to something that is a promise. You see, a promise is something that's given. The law says, I'm going to get it regardless. But a promise says, I can't wait to give it to you. See, that's the difference of heaven and how heaven wants to give what's available. Can we pray right now?